2: What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Equal Play. I'm your host, Annie Costable, and this week's biggest headline, in my humble opinion, and I cover the team, so take this with a grain of salt, but I was super stoked to report on this news, and that was the Chicago Red Stars announcement of its new ownership group Monday morning. The announcement hit as it should with a big splash here in Chicago because the list of names involved, oh, man. It's impressive. The amount of money invested and percentage of the club each owner owns was not released by the Red Stars, but all 14 of the new owners bring a wide range of experience and expertise that goes way beyond capital. You can read more about the new ownership group, which includes Olympic gold medalist Kendall Coyne Schofield, former Bears defensive end Israel Adanije, and 12 others at thesuntimes.com slash soccer. This week, I got to chop it up with two of the Red Stars' new owners. We're kicking off this week's episode with award-winning journalist Sarah Spain and closing things out with music executive Colleen Mares. Let's get into it. All right. On this episode of Equal Play, I'm keeping things in the NWSL realm and and welcoming in award-winning journalist and one of the Chicago Red Stars' new owners, Sarah Spain. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on Equal Play. Thanks for having me. I just have to say, as a former intern of Waddle and Sylvie and and someone who (laughs) used to listen to the updates you gave throughout the show, this is really a full circle moment and and shows how small Chicago media really is. No kidding. Isn't
0: it really? And I like work all national almost now. So it's kind of sad sometimes how much I'm not in the spaces with all you guys and keeping up. So I'm, I'm trying to find some ways to get back into uh, locker rooms and events and do more Chicago specific, but I think the red stars will help with that.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, this announcement and your, your involvement being part of this new ownership was huge for Chicago. And I know, um so many people were so excited to see your involvement and you know we already talked but there's so much that a podcast can provide that like a written story can't and in, in that like the details of what went into making this happen and i wanted you to reshare that story if you don't mind of you know julie foudy and and abby Wambach and glennon doyle and that you kind of joked like i'm going to be an owner but you yeah. really manif- you manifest <laughs> this moment so share with the yeah. listeners how that all happened yeah. So I've been a
0: Red Stars fan for a number of years. So I had met Arnhem, the majority owner, a couple of times, including a couple of years ago when I said um, I wanted to throw a tailgate party. And I wasn't going to involve the Red Stars. I just, I went to a couple of games. I had such a good time. I wanted more people to see this great product. And so I said, all right, everybody just put it on social. I'm throwing a party. I got the pizza and the beer. You show up, get your own game tickets and we'll all have a fun tailgate before the game. And the red Stars saw it and they were like, Hey, we want in on this. We'll help, you know, with some of the sponsors we work with and and had a really fun day. So I had this connection there. So it wasn't totally out of the realm of possibility, but, um, there was no reason to believe the red stars needed more owners. And then, um, so even though I was excited when I heard about Julie Foudy and Natalie Portman and Jennifer Garner and Billie Jean King and Serena Williams, and the, the list is endless for Angel City FC, um, there still was a part of me that that didn't think this was something that would happen here in Chicago. Um, but I was talking to Foudy about the news. I was so excited for her. And shortly thereafter, I was interviewing Glennon Doyle and Abby Wambach for our ESPNW panel, and they were co-owners of, of Angel City. And I'm hearing Abby talk about you know, if they don't offer you a seat at the table, build a new table. Mm-hmm. And this idea of this ownership model being a complete reimagining of our expectations around sports ownership and pro team ownership and So then when Arnhem reached out, I was like, this isn't that crazy. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I also had big questions about exactly how much money I would need in order to be a a part owner of this. And thankfully, it's not uh, NFL type money. Right. (laughs) Um, It's still a massive investment for me. I've never invested in anything. So to go from uh, nothing to this big leap is is a lot. But I believe in the product and I really think that the NWSL is on the precipice of a really big pivot point towards much bigger growth and success. Um, So I felt really confident doing it in part because of, you know, seeing Abby and and Julie and, and other people that I know, you know, going for it.
2: Absolutely. So many follow-ups. But before we get into like, too much detail, I just have to go back to this tailgate because I listened to your interview with ESPN this morning, and yeah. Daily, and I heard there was Malort involved. There was. So two yeah. questions. How right. many shots were taken by Arnhem? Right. And second part <laughs> to that question, will there be a Malort sponsorship possible I'm working
0: on it. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've already come up with my own personal taglines for Malort, one of which is Malort punch your face in the balls. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, I like my other friends Malort tonight. I fight my dad. I don't know if that's what they're going for. But I think they've embraced the sort of like love-hate relationship with with Malort. Um, but yeah, we did have it at the tailgate. I don't remember how many shots Arnhem took, but it was a it was a non-zero number I think at least two. Um, and yeah, we had a bunch of, of Malnadis and, and Bud Weiser and it was it was a really good time. I will work very hard for there to be either Malort day at the at the old stadium or at least Malort tailgate day. And I, I guarantee you that's a promise from me as an owner that there will be a Malort related, uh, sponsorship, meal, <laughs> um, or at least a tailgate. Uh, yeah.
2: Yeah. Respect to anybody who takes multiple Millard shots. Cause if you could yeah. handle one and then you're like, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll do another of that. Right. Uh, they did change the recipes. So the newer version is
0: not quite as bitey as the old one.
2: All right. Maybe I need to give it another shot. Revisit. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see if I revisit that. But um, again, these follow-ups that I have, you know, you talk about the face of ownership and what it looks like. And the NWSL is really changing that. And we saw that obviously with angel city, it's continuing with Naomi Osaka investing in the North Carolina Courage and obviously this new ownership group that was announced with the Red Stars. How do you see this you know, new look of what ownership groups are and can look like permeating into other leagues? I would love for it, too. I think we've seen a little. I don't know if the Renee Montgomery
0: thing happens with the Atlanta Dream, if not for the NWSL. No. And she's even spoken about looking and seeing people that she knows, like like Candace Parker, getting involved in in an Angel City FC as part of the reason that she felt comfortable diving in on that. Um, so I think the WNBA is a great place to start with that. Right. Um I don't know how realistic it is for men's professional teams because the barrier for entry is so high. Right. And you know, there are just not nearly as many female billionaires as there are male. Right. Right. Um, And, and then the spaces are just protected in ways that are unfortunate um, not just from women, but people of color, LGBTQ plus. So um, I think the progressive ideals of women's sports leagues, particularly the NWSL and the WNBA make it more, more necessary to fill these spaces with people that are representative of the players and the fans. Um, so I do hope it has an influence though. I hope at the very least minority ownership at some of those places, um, with people who bring a different lived experience and perspective is viewed as a, as a net necessity, not just a positive, but a necessity to help prevent some of the massive failures that we've seen across some of the larger leagues and teams because they don't have any voices in the room right. to, to fix things. Um, you know, one thing that's really important to me in, in reading people's reactions to some of the NWSL stuff, there's there's a healthy dose of cynicism. I, I tend to be, despite some of my work, which is Uh, critical and and pretty demanding. I tend to be more optimistic, especially about things like this that I view as a massive positive, but I understand people's concerns that if you throw a bunch of women in these ownership rooms, then continuing practices that aren't best for athletes or leagues then become sort of, the women become a cover for it. I don't think about it cynically in that way. I believe that the women who are taking on these roles, myself included, have a desire to have these leagues become the gold standard in sports, whether that's the pre- preserving and making a safe and respectful work environment, elevating salaries, elevating um, trainers and facilities and everything else, right. All with a mind to being able to be sustainable. Right. But I want all the things that I've said before about owners to be a reality. And that's why I'm a part of this, not to be some sort of face or figurehead. Open, yeah. Yeah. That And so I get it. People are automatically going to be going to be cynical. And for some people, that's their job, right? To sort of throw some, throw some, some, uh, water on a good time, but, uh, I hope that we prove them wrong.
2: Water, Is that I, a saying
0: throwing water on a good time? I don't, I don't know. know what saying. I was looking for a saying and it didn't come to me. So I just went with that one. That, Sometimes um, water on a good time makes it better. I don't know. <laughs> it's so <funny.
2: laughs> I really think you need to trademark that. Cause that was, yeah, what- yeah. <laughs> but you bring up a great point, And you actually talked about this in, you know, the introductory press conference in that this push for equal pay, investment, training facilities that reflect the, you know, the elite athletes that are on the field. And I asked this question to Israel Adonaje because, you know, he's a player who obviously 11 years in the NFL was accustomed to a very different lifestyle than, you know, a a woman counterpart and let's say a listener with the red stars. It's just very different experiences. So how do you balance that mindset that you have to have in order to, you know, create a sustainable environment, but also demand equality and equity, which you obviously do and have done in your career as a journalist? Yeah. I think one of the first
0: things that's important for people when thinking about women's soccer as a whole is to separate the NWSL from the U.S. women's national team solely for the purpose of understanding that one is a nonprofit federation with the stated purpose of growing the game for boys and girls and women and men. So to have unequal investment and respect and treatment of players within that federation goes against their stated goals. And particularly in recent years when the women have been vastly out earning the men, the disparity is clear and the treatment is bad and their arguments for it have been flat out sexist, just purely brutal sexism. The NWSL is a professional for-profit sports league. So equal pay with like the EPL is not a reality right? The NWSL doesn't make the money that like Real Madrid does. So we're not going to be able to pay the women that much. The goal is to get there eventually. So it's about the current capital being raised by these ownership groups, giving teams far more flexibility to do the investing that they want to do, right? Mm -hmm. When someone like Arnhem has been in the business of women's sports for 13 years, um, you could demonize his choices or you can respect that he's been losing money in the pursuit of this, right? Right. And I think in women's sports, I don't want to be Pollyanna-ish about people, but a lot of the people are not in it because they think they're going to make tons of money, right? And so the choices that they're making are how do I create something that will get bigger and bigger and live on in this city and be something that if you went to as a kid, now you're taking your own kids, which we don't have across women's sports nearly as much, right? The other leagues have the nostalgia of your grandfather's grandfather's grandfather took you there or grandmother. And- you know, we need to build to that. And that means balancing, giving the players as much as we can, providing them with as best we can, but not over promising to the point that it folds. I mean, look at something like the XFL. Right. They blew through hundreds of millions of right. dollars and didn't make it through one season. Right. That's, that's not figuring out profitability and sustainability from a standpoint of investment. And it's also frustrating. You see that, consistently happen in men's sports, people willing to put hundreds of millions of dollars and maybe the business plan isn't good or the product isn't really something desired. We have a product that's great. What we need is those people to show up with show that up. capital so that we can say, let's invest in this like you would a startup business with an expectation that there won't be an immediate return on investment because the goal is the long-term growth, not the immediate response. And I think far too, people com- too many people compare what you see in the very nascent uh, women's leagues with an expectation that they immediately
2: compete with something that's been around for, for generations. I guess then like on a personal level, like as a woman who knows the struggle of equal play no, or equal pay, excuse me, equal play is the podcast, equal pay. Yes. Yeah. More, how do you make peace with like looking at this roster, looking at the elite players across the NWSL and knowing like, you it's still we're still a ways away from giving them what they deserve right how do you personally make peace with that well for one
0: personally despite having earned a position where i could be a part of this group i'm still not someone who is like going on yachts and then (laughs) and then like watching my players like not make enough money. You know what I mean? Like, I like the idea of saying like, Hey, what's up everybody. I'm a professional owner, but I'm not Jerry Jones. So like, you know, um, I personally can't fund them. Right. Um, But my involvement is my own personal investment to the capacity that I'm able to in changing this and being a part of groups of people who have the investment dollars to make this more profitable so that we then can pay people more. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. We had conversations and we're still in conversations. I haven't given up on this person with a high profile person who wanted to be in the ownership group and a men's professional athlete. And he, 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 mentioned that his advisor said, what are the optics of you making millions of dollars as a male athlete and owning a team where the women don't make nearly as much. That's why you're doing it, right. You're going to be a part of the change, not being involved at all, doesn't help them at all. Yeah. That's so, terrible optics, right? Like being involved, only morons and trolls on Twitter are going to say, why don't you just give them your money? Right? Like that's not how it works. Right. People right. with a brain know that's not how it works. Right. The investment, the involvement, the cachet that you provide, the support, that's all part of the change that will eventually lead to this league being bigger and more popular. And that's when the money comes in and the sponsorship deals and the ticket sales, then you can pay the players more, right? It's a process. And so listen, I've already, I'd like to think I was already someone who was very fair, even in my criticisms of things. Mm-hmm. I, I read some people, and I don't know what their end goal is. Like you can't just criticize things all the time without solutions. Right. And so for me, I'm going to criticize a lack of investment. I'm going to criticize a lack of imagination. I'm going to criticize TV networks for not playing enough games. I'm going to criticize magazines and newspapers for not telling good stories. I'm going to do all of that, but I'm also going to do it while my feet are firmly planted in reality, which is to say you need to do all these things to help these things grow so that they make the kind of money so that they can pay the players and they can keep sustaining and they can be here 20, 30 years from now. Mm -hmm. Those things aren't mutually exclusive. You don't have to believe that owners are trash and players are good in order to understand how sports work. You can believe that there are people who want to make it better and want the players to make more money, but understand that throwing money at it without a plan doesn't then, then goes away. And now you've got no league at all. And we've seen that in women's sports before we've seen in men's sports, like literally can't provide. And I don't want to, I don't want to make light of the XFL. It's a terrible thing that they had all of those investments and players on board and it didn't work out, but
2: you have to have a plan. 100%. You bring up trolls on Twitter and what you're doing, you've showed an entire group of people, what, what's possible. And I know speaking from personal experience as a journalist, like I've never, looked at my career and thought, okay, one day I could save (laughs) up money, I could invest in in something, I could become an owner. It's like, as a journalist, that just never crossed my mind. And and now it has. (laughs) But, you know, you've had trolls in your mentions all week. And I just want to know if you could go into detail of the challenges that you've had to overcome in terms of being smart with your money that's put you in the position to invest in this.
0: Yeah. um, Yeah. It's been frustrating. So a couple of years ago, some weird clickbaity article clearly translated from another language was like, who's Sarah Spain. So they're basically hoping people will search my name and then they'll get clicks for it. And a lot of the information was wrong. It had my salary completely wrong. It had my waistline, my age, where I went to high school, to all these things. So they clearly aggregated content from some places that were accurate and then don't know where they got other stuff. But they said that my husband, I think he was, I don't even know if we were married yet. He might've been my, my fiance or boyfriend at the time was a billionaire. We have no idea where that comes from. He was working at at properties at the time. So we thought maybe they thought he owned at properties. So then they looked at the amount of sales of all, every house by at properties. And they thought that was his salary. But even then he wouldn't be a billionaire, so again, we literally have no clue where that came from. but there are people on the internet that refuse to believe. I would love them to come to my house, but I don't want to give them my address. I think it's pretty clear based on the fact that I have 11 teen jobs that and I'm not living on an island somewhere ignoring everyone that right. I'm not a billionaire. Right. Um, and you know it was funny for a little bit, but if I'm being totally honest, there's a lot of social and societal b s around women being the primary breadwinner. 100%. And so I have thus far, up until my tweet the other day that kind of hinted at it, avoided just flat out saying, I make more money than him. I have busted my ass. I've been at ESPN for over a decade. I'm a national sports reporter.
2: Right.
0: I'm on TV. Which part of those things make you think that I don't make any money and I'm depending on him? it would not be the same for any guy who has the same job as me. People would not presume that they were being supported by their spouse. And in respect to my husband, but he doesn't give a shit. He's, I don't know if I could swear. Sorry. He's a very (laughs) evolved and extremely supportive man. And like early on our relationship, I think he was more of a feminist than I was because I had so much ingrained bullshit that I had to get past. But but out of respect to him, because I don't then want internet trolls to be messaging him like, Oh, so you have a sugar mama. Like, cause you know what? That's always yeah. going to be something. You're right. But I just, so I would always try to just say these aren't true. Uh-huh. I make my own money, but I knew this would happen with this announcement. And I was really disheartened by it because I'm balancing wanting to be representative for women and girls and boys. Um, what it is to be bold and aggressive and ambitious and how that can pay off for you. But I understand that also inherently women who are like that aren't always likable, right? So me saying, I want to represent this thing means that there are some people who are not going to like me flat out just because there's actual studies that say the more successful and famous and wealthy a man gets, the more uh, popular he is. right? And the absolute opposite for women. Like we don't want you to be all that much. You can be a little bit, but once you get too big, we're immediately going to hate you for it. And not that I'm anywhere near that. But my point is, is that me just coming on saying, stop saying that I'm a baller. I'm handling my shit. This is my business makes people dislike me. Um, and that sucks, because. But I don't care. I've decided I don't care anymore. I'm just going to try to be representative in a way that I think is meaningful for people watching me, and can and can be inspired by it. The same way that I feel that way about the boss ladies that I that I follow. Um, anyway, this is a long-winded way of saying it was frustrating because I want the message to be what it is, which is that my husband and I are married. We have separate accounts for most things. Every dollar is my dollar. He has not invested anything that he has earned in this. He's not involved in any way other than he's going to have fun and and come to the games and and be a part of the the good stuff. But um, I, I want people to know that because I think a lot of times we do see women in powerful positions acquired via marriage or birth. That's fine but that's not the only way to get to these positions. Same with my job. I mean, I remember one of the first times I was on Levitard, I wrote this really awesome, I'm going to say it myself, this really awesome rap. And I incorporated all this stuff from the show and people loved it. And I started seeing comments that were like, I wonder if her husband helped her. I'm like, he's never heard the show. He doesn't listen to it. And he (laughs) didn't ever do music. Why why the hell would he help me with it? Right? And just- it, it's like this idea that anything that I accomplish must be his work. And that's exhausting. Um, but anyway, to your point about finances, I have a financial advisor and that lady is my savior. Her name is Meredith. Shout out to Meredith. Um, many years ago, my parents very smartly told me, all right, you're starting to make some money. Like, let's be smart about investing it, 401ks, Roth IRAs, all the things um, and making sure. And so she's the first person I went to when the opportunity came up to say, like, is this feasible? What does it look like for me to have this chunk of money just gone? Where am I pulling it from in terms of savings versus having to take it out of investments and other things? So um, I do think much earlier than you would expect, even when you don't think you have that much, you should probably invest in an expert to help walk you through whether you're making the right decisions and how you can help kind of build on. And, and I, I think I'm, I'm pretty frugal. I spend my money on travel. So that's been not, uh, happening lately (laughs) uh, for like a year. Um, and that's, and then that's mostly at travel and, and like celebrations parties and things, but I don't, I don't care about like labels and, and I don't, we don't live outside our means. So
2: CBS sports and Twitch have acquired the rights to exclusively air the NWSL matches for the next three years. And as a woman in media, what are your thoughts on that deal? I mean, obviously as an ESPN person, I would love to us be, for us to be in on that. And, um,
0: you know, I've already talked about the sort of journalistic balance that I'm going to have with this, uh, dual role thing, but, um, I think what we saw last year was proof enough. We gave the NWSL, not me, because I wasn't involved yet, but as a collective, we, CBS really, gave the NWSL a platform and the ratings were up 400 plus percent. Right. Right? Like you you know where to find it. And so even though there's a diversity of platform that I think benefits leagues, there's also something for emerging sports where there is one place to go and you know that's where it's going to be. Right. You look at, you know, people that are invested in something like the NBA that's been around forever might be willing to go look at a schedule and say, okay, tonight it's on my local Comcast and now it's on NBC and then it's a TNT game and it's an ESPN or ABC. It's a lot easier for an emerging sport for you to say, I'm going to look at the schedule and every game that comes up, I'm going to know where to find it. Um, Me personally, because I'm becoming an old head quicker than (laughs) I ever thought need to get on the on board with the Twitch a little bit more since that's now a big part of this business. Um, But yeah, I mean, What we saw last year, while every other league was struggling, and I was just, I actually just was talking to Lisa Baird, who's going to be my podcast guest for next week, the commissioner of the NWSL on International Women's Day, about this. I think there's something to be said for the habits that went away for people made it so that things that they were used to have come to them, the masters, NBA, NHL, were not in the places that they expected,
1: Mm -hmm. right? The
0: NBA finals was in the fall instead of the spring. So because it didn't come to them the way they were used to, they didn't seek it out. But the things that they weren't used to appeared, things like uh, the NWSL Challenge Cup or the WNBA Wubble season being concurrent with the NBA and being talked about alongside the NBA. They're giving it a shot. They realize the product is great and ratings go up. So I think the shaking of people's habits actually is beneficial to emergent sports in a way that it's detrimental to the existing sort of stalwarts that people are used to not having trouble finding. So
2: yeah.
0: um, I hope that that initial push from CBS is just proof of what's to come. And I think so based on the excitement and support around the league that it's going to be even bigger this year.
2: The North Carolina Courage and the Red Stars, I don't know if they necessarily have a rivalry, but there's definitely like no love loss, especially mm-hmm. after the 2019 championship loss. And I wonder if you are at all looking forward to being able to talk shit to Naomi Osaka, who uh, is just a brilliant athlete. First of all, let
0: it, be, let it be said that I don't think anyone is too far above me to talk shit to them. <laughs> I consider shit talking an art that can, that can cross every level of age I once heckled a toddler in a charger onesie on a train from LA to San, San, uh, San Diego for a bears chargers game. And then I was like, Mm -hmm. what am I doing with my life? I just heckled (laughs) a child. Um, No, I will be, uh, the trash talk will be coming for Naomi and Natalie Portman and Fowdy and Mahomes fiance. It's going to be, it's going to be evenly spread across the league, but perhaps a little bit extra directed in, in the direction of the courage.
2: Again, no love lost between no love the Courage and no. the Red Stars. All right. Now to some Twitter questions. Becca Hain wants to know if you could sign any player, who are you signing? Like, if you could get anybody. To there are play. so many that I want
0: to say, but I'm just going to go with my gut. The first thing that came to mind, okay. because I'm obsessed and it's Megan Rapino. I'm obsessed with Megan Rapino. I know I should say like an ingenue, that we're going to have years and that's what a smart owner would say and if i may ask this question in a capacity where it's binding i will probably say a player that we will have for you know the next
2: 10 years right um but Rapino, have to say Rapino. matt linder wants to know what's the new kit gonna look like any insight you could give us uh, on what it's gonna what it's it gonna is look like? so hushed, hush hush That we have not seen it yet. Like they've
0: described it a little bit, but they have not showed it to us yet. Um, I will say, I will say only color or the absence of it or the expression of it.
2: Listeners, I don't know if you're following, but there was <laughs> there was your insight on this. Super <laughs> last question. And I love this one. Sky and the Red Stars, both in the finals this year playing for a championship. Thoughts? Oh, the magic. First of all, I'm going to need us to get
0: on these vaccines quicker because I know that I feel good about butts in the seats for the Red Stars. It's outdoors. It's spread out. It's a big field. It's a big stadium. I got to go see Candace Parker. Right. Like I need to get in there i need to start using some pull as a professional team owner in chicago to get some courtside seats and watch my girl candace but i need to do it safely so uh we need to hop to it on the on the solving of the pandemic thing um no that would be so sick it's wild to have teams that have had a lot of success but haven't been able to get over the hump and yeah. get that championship and i would love Love for that to be this year and next year. I like a couple couple three peats. It's good. Yeah.
2: I feel like you're the manifestation queen. I mean, you manifested this <laughs> yes. like opportunity. So there we go. Sarah yes. I'm putting it out in the universe. Just <laughs> taking it into existence. Sarah, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on to talk about the red stars and everything exciting regarding the NWSL. I appreciate it so much. Don't go anywhere because coming up, another member of the Red Stars new ownership group joins Equal Play, music executive Colleen Mayers. Colleen, thank you so much for coming on Equal Play this week. Hey, thanks so much for having me.
1: This is awesome.
2: First things first, I want your opinion on, you know, supporting women's sports has very much become like the trend now and we love it. Like emphasis on the love. We love to see it. But you've been a season ticket holder for a minute now. So let's start there. When and why did you become a season ticket holder? Why was that something you, you know, wanted in on all season long?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I first heard of the Red Stars back in, I want to say it was around Mm -hmm. 2011-ish. My youth club coach, his son interned for the team. So that's kind of how I first heard about the team. And I was like, this is cool. Like Chicago has a pro women's soccer team. Um, And I was here. I had moved here to go to college. So I was living here. I think I might've caught like one or two random games around that time, maybe 2012-ish. And then probably I moved out to LA for work for like a year and a half. Uh Came back around 2014 and just started going to more games. And eventually I was, I really got the season tickets because I felt like that was the best way for me to support the team Yeah. at the time. Um, it was really important to me that, you know, just to financially put, um, something behind what I love. So that's how I became a season ticket holder. I, Love my seats. <laughs> I'm not. I can tell you right now. I'm not giving up my seats, even as an owner. I you're am not going still, up to
2: like the owners box or anything. Owner
1: suite. Still a season ticket holder. My seats are directly behind the visitors bench. So if you're at a game, come say hi. Um, But I will keep those season tickets forever. You will not take them from me. That's uh, amazing. So yeah, but that's kind of how I I got the tickets, and then. Um, just in conversation with Arnhem this past summer and kind of where the team was at and what they were looking to do. I, uh, just advocated for myself and said, Hey, I would love to be a part of this if you're willing to have me. And he was gracious enough to, uh, open the door and, and let me come, come invest.
2: Yeah. So, so many follow-up questions to all of that. But first thing I got to know, you played soccer growing up. What position did you play and how long
1: did you play for? I was a winger for a while and then I kind of transitioned to uh I was mostly a forward. Okay. But, um I played from age four, really whenever I could start, probably U four, U five, yeah, through high school. So almost 15 years probably. All right. Um, yeah. I mean, it was a huge part of my childhood from like just and I played everything, like the club soccer, rec soccer. Uh, school soccer, indoor soccer. Do you ever
2: still get out and play?
1: I did like once or twice last year, but honestly, no, I would love to um, be in like an adult league, but just with the schedule with chance stuff, I've just never been home enough to actually do it. Right. Um, So we'll see. I I would love to.
2: Maybe we should get a league started.
1: I mean, personally, I never
2: played. So maybe I will uh, be your guys' like media contact come out you know plug the teams etc but that would be really awesome to get like an owner's uh an owner's league started
1: I'm I'm so then when the
2: other owners are in town y'all can you know square up
1: I mean I don't know if I'm trying to square up with Abby Wambach but (laughs) um but I'll give it a go I mean I'm not I'm not scared you know
2: You know, your background in music, you talked about in the introductory uh, press conference that you provide a unique knowledge and that you can help with the game day experience. And so I wonder what some of your ideas are in that area, and especially because the stadium is, you know, a little bit further out from the city. Like, what are some of your ideas for getting fans more engaged and also bringing in new fans to support the Red Stars?
1: My background is really in live events. So even before I worked for Chance, I was doing like where I went to college at Columbia, like was throwing all the shows and different events there, um, parties. I DJed while I was in college. So (laughs) there's like, that's, that's definitely kind of where my, my expertise in that area comes from. I think what we've been talking a lot about is how to make the game day experience more just that, an experience, right? So you're obviously coming for the game, but how do we build around the game? One, to offer something for everyone. So that's kids, families, single people, grandmas, grandpas, (laughs) like the whole thing, right? We want something for everybody and to make it because it is a little further out from the city. And we want people from the city to come to make it a longer experience than just the 90 minutes, um, that, that the game is. So we've talked a lot about, and obviously trying to be COVID safe with all of this, but assuming down the road, we don't have to worry about COVID necessarily. It's, you know, how do we boost the tailgate experience pregame? What kind Mm -hmm. of activities can we offer pregame? Um, then once you get inside, how do we boost the experience from, from your seat? If you want to get up out of your seat, what's on the concourse, you know, what kind of tangible things can we have for you to extend that, that whole experience? And then post game, um, you know, what type of things could we have offered again, either in the stadium, outside of the stadium to make it so that you really want to spend your, you know, your whole afternoon or evening with us. Um, mm-hmm. and then even beyond that, I think it's taking, how do we bridge between game days and then between seasons? So we know we have this amazing community of supporters. What can we offer them outside of just SeatGeek or yeah. in Bridgeview? You know, what type of activations can we do in the city for people who live in the city? Um, so it's all my brain, I feel like, is going 500 miles a minute, but it's exciting because I think there's a lot of opportunity to really go crazy, as they say.
2: Yeah, yeah, go crazy, as they say. It'll be exciting to see what uh, changes are made this this season, and obviously, you know, COVID still being a factor, uh, we'll have to keep that in mind. But this ownership group is so diverse, and there's so many different minds that are at work, and... Mm-hmm you know, when looking at the list and talking to players, I think that's what has players so excited is like, you have brilliant marketing minds. You have your experience in live events. You have Sarah Spain, who is an award-winning journalist. You have former professionals in the NFL and current professionals in the NFL, but all of these minds coming together, what do you feel like this ownership group will be able to immediately accomplish in terms of improving the environment for the team?
1: I think the experience that specifically the pro athletes that we have, I think what they offer is a perspective that the rest of us can't, can't tap into, right? Like to be a professional athlete, especially on an elite level um, you know, that's, it's something that I will never know. which, which is totally cool. Like, I think that's why it's so valuable to have their voices in because they really know what it takes, how to best support players, um, everything from, you know, just what they need to eat or how they need to live or, you know, the time that it takes to perform at this level. Um, having multiple people, not even just one person having multiple people in the room weekly, when we talk about different things that affect the team, having that perspective, I think, is is so important. I truly believe that every ownership group should have someone who's been in those players' shoes to be able to advocate for things that, we, as business people, marketing people, you know, film, people, yes, yes. <laughs> that we don't, you know, we don't think about because we've never had to, had to do those things. Right. So I, I really think that's a huge piece that, um, like I said, I just, I, I, I wish every, every team had, you know, an owner that, that could really advocate in that way.
2: Yeah. You know, in talking to Israel, during the opening press conference, hearing his, him flat out say, I could not imagine sustaining an 11-year career under the circumstances that these professional women play under. And when you think about that and you think about the players on this team, Julie Ertz, Alyssa Nair, going through the list, it's it's a list of elite, elite players and they are not provided the same elite experience that their male counterparts are provided so for you how do you balance that mindset that we need the difference right now and also what Sarah Spain commented on in that we also have to be thinking sustainably.
1: Yeah, I would love to see it right now, right? <laughs> I would love to cut these players, you know, massive, massive right. six, seven, eight figure checks, you know, like that is hundred percent my goal. I think that's hundred percent the goal of the ownership group, which is great to know we are all on the same page, right? Like there is no question that what we're working towards is to pay these players one, what they deserve. And then even, you know, above and beyond that. Right. Because they, they are the best athletes in the world. Right. um, And they deserve to be paid that period. Right. Um, I think Sarah's had a good point before about, I've heard her say a couple of times, you know, the, a lot of times the investment correlates to the return, right? So we haven't seen the investment in women's sports in general. And yet we, you know, not me, but people compare it to men's sports and what they do. And it's like, you have like, they haven't had the same investment. Right. So I think what's important right now is we are making that investment. And that comes with, you know, we need more sponsorship investment. We need investment from platforms, right. From, we need to be on TV. I think all of these things, boost club revenue, league revenue, and therefore that money can be turned right around and put into player salaries. So it's 100% a challenge, but I think I'll speak for myself. I love a good challenge. (laughs) So it is a top priority for sure. I mean, I don't know if there's anything more important than that. Um, It's just a matter of putting the right pieces in place to be able to do it
2: question about, you know, your, your music background or, or that relates to your music background, you know, all the new ownership groups, again, very diverse group of individuals. I don't know that there's a ton of like music executives. So for you, are you on a mission at all to like bring in anybody from the music world? And obviously you work with chance. So that's not me asking if chance is going to get involved genuinely. Do you see yourself You know, trying to make connections in the music industry to to get some some fellow music execs on board.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we've been having some of those conversations. I think as Arnhem sort of alluded to, there's more news coming. Um, and so yeah, I I would love to have more people, you know, like me with my background, um, specifically in music, involved for sure. I think we have a like sports in this country are obviously a form of entertainment. So Mm -hmm. I think to be able to kind of tell the story through that way, I think the experience does cross over for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, the more the merrier and you know, the, the door is open. So hit me up if you feel like you're a good fit and I will, uh, I'll definitely have the conversation.
2: Hey, there's a lot of manifestation going on on this episode. When I talked to Sarah too, she was speaking things into existence. So again, listeners, if you're out there, you're interested, make sure you're hitting up Colleen, Sarah, Arnhem, anybody. Backtracking just a little bit, you touched on it in one of your first answers, but how did this come to be? You know, you reached out to Arnhem over the summer, you said, but how did the ball really get rolling and and what inspired you beyond again what you mentioned to get involved with this ownership group
1: it's funny you said the manifest thing because that's honestly (laughs) kind of how I feel like it happened for me I mean I always knew I wanted to be involved in women's soccer in in some capacity more than a fan Uh I've felt that way for a few years now but didn't really know what that looked like um Was it being, you know, like a partner of some sort, you know, like a community partner or, you know, just a, um, consultant or, you know, whatever. I I kind of bounced all these ideas around in my head and then right before the pandemic. So it was actually like right after all-star weekend. Oh my God.
2: What a weekend (laughs) that we all got to experience. And then the world shut down.
1: And then it was over. It was like, this is it. This is your going away party. It really was. That
2: was like the (laughs) last major thing, event, fun weekend. Yeah. A lot of us had.
1: Yeah. So that was super crazy. A lot of work. So afterwards I took a vacation Uh uh, by myself. I went out to Palm Springs. I'm a huge golfer. Wow. So I played golf for like five days straight. And while I was there, I was just really sort of thinking on specifically how I could get involved and, and what I wanted to do in, in this space and ownership was always in the back of my mind, but I honestly didn't think it was something that, you know, I was kind of would be like allowed a seat at the table, maybe, you know, there's not a lot of young female owners at all. I mean, set aside angel city and what they've done. I think traditionally, you know, you think about it, it's just not really something you see a lot. Right. But I was like, you know, I should just ask Arnhem. I didn't know him, you know, I'm a season ticket holder, but that's about the extent that I knew who he was. So I typed up a draft email that was just like, this is who I am. You know, would you ever consider selling like a minority piece of the team to me. Wow. Um, and I didn't send it because I got scared. <laughs> I didn't send it. I was like, I need to go home. you know, like, I finished my golf, whatever. I was like, I need to go home and kind of think about this and really decide if this is like the best way to do this. And then I flew from Palm Springs to Houston for the Houston rodeo. Uh-huh. And that was chance was playing. And that was like, right. When we really started to hear like, Right, they're talking about you know cancel the rodeo is like a multi week thing. They're like they're talking about canceling the rest of the rodeo for this COVID thing. We're like that's so crazy. Got on the plane, flew home. That was literally the last like flight I've been on since. So then COVID happened, and I obviously like so many other people, everything kind of got put on hold, priorities, whatever. So I never sent the email. And then in July, Arnim actually reached out to me. I guess he got my email from somebody at, at the club. And he just said, you know, Hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm trying to do. Do you know any people or have any insight to who, you know, might be a good fit? Um, and I said, yes, I do. <laughs> so I, first I gave him, you know, just like a, a whole list of people that I thought would be worth, talking to. for Oh my God. You still didn't say yourself? Not right away. And then we got on a call like a couple weeks later and I was like, Hey, also happy to, you know, talk to all these people and, and, you know, feel like who might be a good fit, but could I be a part of it? And he was, I think he was a little surprised at first, but he was like, yes, absolutely. Uh, So yeah, I think I, I mean, I was one of the earlier people that he had talked to and I, I mean, I bit, right away. I was, there was no question in my mind that I was going to do this. Okay. So many
2: things we got to touch on from that, but like first things first, the universe does not make mistakes. Like what is meant for you is coming to you. And there, that story, I I'm so thankful you just shared that because I think a lot of our listeners and especially women can relate to, everything you just shared and this worry that comes with, you know, taking a step or taking a leap or, or, you know, following your dreams, following your passion. And as long as you're, you know, connected to your passion, like the universe is going to conspire to bring it to you. But I wonder if you can kind of elaborate on your fear a little bit, because again, a lot of us can relate to that. Was it, a lack of seeing women that looked like you was it growing up and just not having that that same energy poured into us as young women that we can be owners we can be the you know breadwinners of a family we can do all these things financially like what contributed do you think to your fear of of reaching out to Arnhem originally
1: yeah I think kind of everything you just said right one I felt like um I felt like I was maybe too young. I thought this might be a goal that I realized when I'm an old lady, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I've done sort of all of my career stuff and I've, you know, saved some money and like, this is what I, you know, this is what I end up doing. So I think I felt, I felt that way. I felt like I didn't think I had wrap my head around like this was around the time that angel city was doing all their stuff. Right. And obviously or so of of who they were announcing were people that, names that you recognize. Right. So I felt like, well, you know, maybe that's kind of the way that all these clubs are going to go. It's it's really, they're going to open it up to people with big followings who can, you know, offer support when it comes to, you know, views and posts and whatever. And that's Mm -hmm. not me. Um, But ultimately, I think I just... Well, it goes back further and I've said this to colleges that I've like college students that I've talked to because I work for chance because I asked for that job. Like I was not, I had no one came to me and was like, do you want to put in an application for chance the rapper? Like, no, I, in a very similar way, um, I had known him, but I was working out in LA. He came out to LA and I just said, Hey, if you ever need anybody, I'd be down Like I would jump on your team. I would quit this corporate label job that I have and I would come work for you. Uh And similar to Arnhem a little bit, to my surprise, he was like, yeah, actually that would be awesome. And that was like almost eight years ago. So I found myself in a similar position here where I was like, no one's rarely in life is anyone just going to hand you what you want. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is like, people can't read minds. So I'm thinking this, like I'm trying to manifest this for myself, but he's not going to know unless I put it out there. So I was like, well, I guess this is like the chance thing. Like I kind of just got to ask for it. And the worst thing he says is like, no, "No, sorry. Like it's not the right fit or whatever. And I'd still be a fan. I'd still be a season ticket holder. Like, okay. I'm in no worse position than I started this conversation. So I just, you know, I think ultimately it was, it was that, like I was a little bit familiar with the situation um, from doing the same thing with chance. But I was just like, man, I preached this whole thing about advocating for yourself and asking for what you want, especially as a woman. Um, so I was like, well, I better practice what I preach and, and ask for it. And I, I would, I would kick myself forever if I didn't. Did so it. that's how it came to be.
2: You've been in, I'm sure some powerful rooms with some brilliant minds had had or listened to some brilliant conversations in your career, but what are you excited about now in terms of the rooms
1: you're going to enter through this ownership group? That's probably the thing I'm most excited for is that the room will be full of women. (laughs) I think like I work in a pretty male dominated field, um, you know, we're starting to see more music executives that are women. Um, but most of the senior, senior roles at a lot of these companies are still held by men. So I think I, and especially on like touring, like touring is a very male dominated industry. So there were, there was a long time, like, especially when we would be on the road that it would, you know, I was one of, three or four or five women in a crew of 50 plus. Right. So I think just getting to be around women, to work more, to share ideas, to have, you know, similar experiences in that way, I think is something I'm really excited for because I haven't had that a lot in my professional career. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm just excited to have that dynamic. Like, I think it's something that I haven't experienced a lot of. Um, and I think we all know when more than one woman is gathered in a room, amazing things happen. So
2: I would love for you to, if you're open to it, elaborate on what exactly it took financially to put yourself in a position to be an investor, because that is unfortunately, I think a stereotype that's been put on women is that sure we could have our own careers and and we're in, you know, we're in this place where yes, like women, we all got this, but there's still that energy that women won't be the most financially savvy. Like someday you'll end up and being saved by some man that comes in and like shares his money with you, blah, blah, blah. Again, We know that not to be true, but I wonder if you could just uh, shed some light on and share some advice as far as what it takes financially to put yourself in a position to be an investor.
1: Yeah, I think it was kind of just that, like it was being smart with my money, knowing that um, I'm someone who really wanted to play a long game. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I I credit my parents a lot with just helping instill in me, um, you know, don't necessarily fall for what's hot and flashy and cool <laughs> right this second. Because if you look out further, there could be something like this big dream that you can achieve if you sort of incrementally make choices to lead to that. Uh-huh. So I think for me, it was, it was always a thought of there's something big, or I didn't even know what it was, but I think I just felt like if I have the opportunity, I want to be able to invest in things that I care about with the money that I've earned. And just having that mentality, I think was enough to drive me to, you know, save as much as I can and just try and be as smart as possible with, with what I do have. Um, And yeah, I mean, it was, I also, it was funny, like I read this story and I don't know if it's true, but I think it's true about, um, (laughs) it's on the internet. It must be. Yeah. It's from the internet. So (laughs) we'll take take that disclosure, but, um, it was about Elon Musk and Uh Tesla. And basically it talked about how, when he was starting Tesla, he put all of his money into Tesla. Like he believed in it so much that he was willing to put Everything he had gotten, and mind you, this was like, because he started PayPal. So he had gotten like a huge payout, hundreds of millions of dollars from selling PayPal. And then instead of like chilling, retiring, whatever, sitting on his hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. Going off to some island and disappearing. Exactly. He literally took it all and put it in Tesla to the point that he was borrowing money from friends, family, whatever, to pay his rent. So wow. he believed in the idea so much. He was literally willing to basically risk everything that he had earned to put it behind something that he was confident was was going to succeed. And not at all to say I'm out here borrowing money for rent, um, but I had heard that story before I did this. And I was just like, you know, this is something that I wholeheartedly believe in, one, as because I care about it, but two, because I know this is only going to grow and only going to be more successful than it was yesterday. So I just felt like if that's what I believe, I'm willing to put up a lot of what I have into this organization because I just, I'm 110% in, you know? So For me, it was. um, Ten toes down. Is that what the kids are saying now or something? (laughs) Right. I mean, it was it was a lot, um, but I've never lost sleep over it because there's a I don't know. My brain is just like 100 percent the right decision. Good job.
2: You know, you talked about working in in a male dominated industry and and obviously sports is another male dominated industry. A lot of our listeners are, are women trying to break into this industry. So what advice do you have for women who are trying to break into a male-dominated
1: field? I would say kind of like, I guess we were talking about, like, definitely advocate for yourself because no one's going to do it for you or rarely is someone going to do it for you. So if you want something, ask for it. If you feel you need to be paid more, say it. Um, a lot of times the worst thing that can happen is someone will say no. And you will survive someone saying no. I think that's, we, we tend to be afraid of no, but at the end of the day, like you'll survive and thrive past someone saying no. Right. And I do think it takes a bit of, you know, you can't be small. So the bulldoze thing, like I've, I feel like I've definitely done some of that. Right. Because again, like shrinking into yourself or trying to just fit in the little corner that you've been given doesn't make enough space for you. And it definitely doesn't make enough space for any other women to come into a field where there's not a lot of us. So take up space. Don't be afraid of that. Um, and when you're in the right place, that space will be given to you when you advocate for it, right? Like if you're in a place where you're appreciated and your opinion is valued, I think a lot of times it seems like men don't, and I don't want to like totally generalize, but it seems like sometimes they don't even realize what they've done until you do come in and you're like, Hey, no, like this should be this way. Right. We need to have, you know, this many women involved because there needs to be all kinds of voices speaking in this conversation. And I think there's a lot of good dudes that are like, oh, wow, like you're right. Like I didn't even think about the fact that there's, you know, not anyone else, you know, here. So I think you do just have to, don't be afraid to be big to be loud if you're loud, um, you know, and go for it, like ask for it, whatever it is you want. Before
2: I get to our Twitter questions, there were a couple of really good ones. I did want to ask you about Humor for Hope and your involvement with this organization. I've, I've read a little bit about it and it just seems like such a beautiful organization that is doing so much good in the community. So can you share a little bit about how you got involved with Humor for Hope and, and what exactly you all are doing?
1: Yeah, I met the founder of Humor for Hope, whose name is actually Hope. Uh, Hope England is her full name in college. (laughs) She went to Columbia as well. Uh And it's just so her background is in comedy. She was a film and TV major, um, but studied at Second City and just felt like there was an opportunity for healing by bridging comedy and improv with trauma and illness, right? To sort of give, especially kids, the opportunity to step outside of whatever they've been diagnosed with, whatever they're going through, and honestly just give them the chance to laugh, which you don't see a lot of in hospitals and in these situations that are so bleak in so many ways. So she started it back in 2014, I want to say, and I've been involved pretty much since the beginning and it's awesome. Like I don't have a comedy background, but getting to see the way these kids react to what is essentially just play, right? Like the opportunity to laugh and be goofy and be silly. It's just so cool. And the impact it has on the kids, but also the siblings and the parents, it's amazing. And what we've been working on is a, so Hope then went and got her master's and is actually a licensed therapist, uh, trauma therapist as well. So this is really kind of becoming her full-time thing. And we last year piloted a program with CPS that combined improv comedy and group therapy, Hmm. specifically for kids in CPS that were struggling with issues at home, issues in their community, um, any kind of like violence or trauma that, that they had gone through and just needed an extra outlet and some extra support that CPS wasn't necessarily able to give uh during the school day, which is really important. This isn't something that, you know, they have to stay after for or come early for. They're actually able to step out of their sort of normal school day and get this um, you know, this opportunity to kind of engage in in a form of healing. So it's cool. Unfortunately, COVID took us out of the hospital, which was Mm -hmm. a super bummer because we have volunteers at Comer's Children's Hospital weekly. So we've had to postpone that. And then CPS obviously has been out for quite some time, but fingers crossed once COVID subsides a bit, um, we'll be back in the hospital and, and in CPS.
2: How can people get involved? Just head to humorforhope.com or?
1: Yep, exactly. Um, and you can also follow us on Instagram at humor for hope. And okay. uh, yeah, like I said, hopefully as, as COVID kind of subsides, we'll be, you'll be seeing a lot more of, of where we're at, but we're based in here in Chicago. So.
2: That's awesome. And, and yeah, like you said, I mean, hopefully we're turning a corner on COVID, uh, with the vaccine coming out and, and yeah, just some good leadership in place. Yes, Uh, (laughs) like here's hoping 2021, we do turn, turn a corner on this very challenging, uh, year it's been. But transitioning to our Twitter questions, I wanted to get some of the Red Stars followers involved because they are just so excited about this new ownership group. So I have a few questions for you. Um, The first one from Anna Albee, which I always do this, and then I'm like, shoot, I hope I'm saying their name right. (laughs) So Anna, I apologize if I'm not saying your name right, but she asked a really important question, I think. And she said, can you all talk about how women's sports as a whole is an investment opportunity rather than just a, quote, right thing to do? So, you know, you touched on it in that it was something you believed in full, full force. You see the growth happening, the potential in it. But can you elaborate on why this was a great investment opportunity and you saw it as one, not just like she said, uh, the right thing to do?
1: Yeah. I mean, I have nonprofits that I support and charity causes. This is a hundred percent, not that, I mean, I saw this one is something that I care deeply about and I'm excited about. So I just wanted to be involved as myself, but a hundred percent, this was a business opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I don't plan on losing the money that I put in at all. (laughs) You know, like my goal is to take that investment and grow it with the organization. So I think the, the encouraging things we've seen across the league, even, you know, before Angel City, just kind of the post-2019 World Cup, the way the NWSL has sustained itself um, going on almost 10 years, I think I just felt like not only was it a safe investment to me, but also something that has such a huge growth opportunity. You know, the, the ceiling on the red stars and on, I think the league as a whole is so, so far up and honestly will continue to go up. So it's like, for me, I just looked at it and I was like, man, there's so much room to grow here. Um, Again, why would I not want to put money that I've earned behind something that, you know, I think will double, triple, even more than that honestly in the next 10, 20, 30 years, whatever it is. um, For me, it was like a no brainer. (laughs) Like, and I know there's people that have said no, or, you know, in other cities that haven't invested or not wanted to. And I'm just like, I don't know what you guys see, because I'm looking at this, like, if you had this opportunity, like, man, take it. Cause this
2: rocket ship
1: that is like ready to launch,
2: 100% that's a great perspective and great to hear from you another question this one's from Matt Lindner what's the new kit gonna look like
1: um okay so okay here's the absolute truth and I hope this is like oh I have not seen it it's literally like the top most top secret project that I've ever encountered like I thought I was involved in a lot of like you know, secretive, (laughs) highly confidential things. The red stars Jersey is like next level. Like, I don't know if I need to sign an NDA to see it. Like, I don't know what I have to do, but, but I will say I was in a merch meeting this morning Uh and I saw a, how do I want to say this? A, A theme of it that potentially would be incorporated in other merch items. And it was very cool. Um, very on brand with, this is the hint I'll give, but also this is a hint again that I haven't seen the Jersey. So don't, don't come for me if this doesn't fit. But what I, what I saw, um, it's very much in, not in line, but like another play on, the previous two. So if you think about the sort of themes that went into the previous two, this follows that same trend in a really cool way. It sort of rounds out the collection. I love
2: will. that. Love that. I feel like the followers are going to love that too. And also the red stars love a good theme. They yes. love a good theme. So Also funny that all the top secret stuff you've been involved in, the Red Stars jersey, the Red Stars kit is the most top secret
1: of it all. So I'm telling you, I saw I saw The Lion King before it came out because Chance was involved in that. And I felt like I could tell people more about that movie than I can about the Red Stars jersey. So there you go,
2: listeners. The Red Stars are not playing um last question from our twitter followers this is kind of an interesting one if you could sign any player to play for the red stars who would you sign oh wow
1: that is a tough question there's just so many great players uh there are that's honestly where my brain is going um (sighs) Man,
2: God, this, I don't mean this, to put you on the spot here, this, but no, I don't want,
1: okay, I don't want this to be a cop out, but I think this is uh, honestly, I would, I would bring Sam Kerr back. Uh, I know that's like, I, I don't know if that's like controversial in any way, but oh, to be yeah. honest, like, I would. Um, I had so much fun watching her play. I think right. she's just such a dynamic, expressive um, player. player. Yeah. That honestly, I think that was, I think that would have to be my choice. If I had one, uh, one last uno card, that's where I would throw it.
2: Sam, I doubt you're ever going to listen to our podcast, but on the rare chance that you are, we want you back in Chicago. We want you back. Sam was phenomenal to watch and Honestly, it pains me how little acknowledgement she received while she was here and the world-class player she is and the fact that like not enough people were paying attention to Sam Kerr being like right down the street. So Sam, again, if you're listening, come home. We want you back. Um, but I do have one last question for you. And that is if you were putting together the pregame playlist... Who would be the artist on it? What songs? Uh, Tell me what it would sound like.
1: Okay. I'm thinking of like what I'm listening to right now. So, well, to be honest, my gym playlist has been like very heavy. um, Paramore, which is not. Love it. And not like super current, but um, I'd probably throw some Paramore on there. I feel like those are good, like power anthems. Yeah.
2: Paramore was really like the music. Of my high school experience, yeah, same in college,
1: yeah. Okay, so I'd throw some Paramore on there. Um, I'm a big Duolipa fan. I think she's great. Um, I would definitely throw some like Bad Bunny, Jay Balvin vibes. You know, get the get the dance scene kind of going.
2: Pump everybody um, up.
1: Exactly. Obviously, we'd throw some Chance on there.
2: Okay, okay. I was waiting for it. I didn't <laughs> want to put the pressure on
1: you, but. Okay. It's there. Great songs. Um, man, probably some other, maybe some other Chicago people, maybe like a Joey Perp. Um, man, who else?
2: Honestly, that that's, you just provided a, a, a yeah. great list, the diverse list. You got Paramore, Joey Perp, Everything in between, I feel like that is a solid soundtrack to get the fans ready to get the players ready. Hey, the journalists ready too. so I, I'm with it. I'm with that, there we go um, that warm up playlist and forgive me this is the last question I've asked every guest okay. but um what is your hope for the future of women in sports and obviously this is a sports podcast, but you are a brilliant music executive. So for you, I'll just ask, what is your hope for the future of women in these male dominated industries?
1: I think to be more seen, to have more seats at the table, to be paid the same, if not more. Um, I mean, I think just be paid for the work that you bring and the value that you offer. Uh-huh. Um And I, I definitely hope in sports specifically, like now that I'm sort of in this world that I have the opportunity to open the door to, for, for more people, um, especially people who don't look like me, because I'm very aware that my white privilege and sort of my ability to step into spaces, especially because of the way that I look is a different opportunity than other people are afforded. So for people who don't look like me, I think priority, right? Like in to achieve equity, like Mm -hmm. we can't expect the same thing from everybody. So that's a big goal of mine is just to like really truly diversify what leadership looks like Mm -hmm. and ultimately what the sport in this country looks like, because I don't think we have enough black and brown girls that have the ability, not the ability, but like the opportunity to get into these, especially youth clubs, right? It like the, the barriers of entry are still high with youth soccer in this country. And so I think trying to advocate for equity in the sport from not just obviously our pro players, but all the way down to, to kids, you know, I think that there needs to be more initiatives around getting non-white girls to be able to play the sport in this country. Um, because it's just, it is, there's just a lot of, it's just the opportunity is mostly and historically been given to like affluent white girls. And that's not something that I'm here to continue. I'm definitely a System disruptor. So I'm here to say that's maybe how it was, but that's not how it needs to continue.
2: What a powerful statement to end on and and goal to share with our listeners, and one that is so important right now. And speaking as another privileged white woman taking up space in a male dominated industry, it has to be about lifting up more than. The white women who who look like me because it's easy to put a white woman in the token diversity spot we need to do more than that we need to make sure that all of these places and spaces are free and open and 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 the same opportunities are being provided beyond just again that white woman token diversity chip so Colleen, I am so thankful you took the time to come on Equal Play. I appreciate it so much. This was a great conversation. We touched all different topics. And like I said, thank you for coming on Equal Play.